because we're working with America. Mm. Um, but yeah, they they refused to change their day at all. So we ended up working completely at you know like till like two a.m. God, that's <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, I was just like, you know, you could have started work at six a.m. and we could have been out by midnight. You know, like just a tiny, but that's um, it. that was always the thing in L.A. was like, like even for production days, like the production day in L.A. at least for independent stuff doesn't start until ten a.m. Like yeah. nine a.m. is stretching it. Like shoot days are different, but production days, office days, 10 a.m. Yeah. is when you get rolling. But we work until seven. Yeah. But that's oh, yeah. No. America but, knows how to work hard. I'm just saying, like, they don't know how to care about other countries. Or, you know, no, just, I'm like, saying even in America, dude, like, so at 10 a.m. in LA, it's one o'clock in New York City. All right. Okay. So, so even. They're back from lunch, and we're just like, oh, what's up, guys? Just had a breakfast burrito on my lawn board. Did I miss anything? And they're like, yeah, we went home twice already. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah, so that's, that's LA for you, and God bless America in general. Yeah. That's all good. How's all that going? You got family back there? Is everything going all right? It's just, well, I mean, I have a lot of family back there, but my mom, you know, is kind of the main node and yep. she's in Minneapolis and just anxious as hell, man. She's just, you know, she, she was keeping a really positive attitude until I think Trump got diagnosed with COVID. And then she got to the point where she was just like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to do. This is going to last forever. I, I don't know. I, you know. She's worried about seeing her friend. She's worried about what's going to happen to the political state. You know, it just, it's, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm having a really hard time not getting despondent about it all. Like the apathy is seeping in a lot where, where I kind of always felt like that nineties optimism of everything's going to be better. You know, things can be shit now. Things can be shit even four years from now, but 20 years from now, things are always going to be much better. But now I'm like, maybe it's not. <laughs> it just gets worse. Yeah, um, I mean, the, it's, scary. It, it's a very scary time to be alive. The only thing I'll, I'll say is like the, the arc of history is long and it does point to progress, but that progress comes after periods of great unrest. Yeah. So it, that's we meant to be comforting, but it's not at all comforting. You know, we're, we're just in a place where it's, it's very concerning at, yeah. at most. I don't think you're wrong to be, to be worried, man, but to try and like spin it positive, the, I was talking to my mom about this, um, like, because I was taking some pretty radical lefty positions and my mom's a total hippie. You know what I mean? Like she raised me this way, but she was like, you can't honestly believe that's the right thing to do. And I'm like, I, I think it might be, but I think it's more important that that position is represented because we're going to get to a place where something good happens. And I say that to point out that like it, 
it is your duty to be radically positive, to believe that the best thing is possible. When you see yeah. that darkness coming at you, you have a responsibility to hold the light up, you know? Yeah. No, that's cool. I was always like strongly, well, like, so I went to like religious school and stuff. And, um, but I kind of very quickly came to the, the realization that every time they told me something, I'm like, we could do that here without heaven. And then what good would heaven be? So I'm like, if, if, if we're not trying to make heaven redundant, <laughs> you know like yeah that's a really good way to think about it like so i was always like we should just try and make hunger go away and she, they're like hunger you know like don't feel bad for the hungry because they will have a seat in heaven or whatever and i'm like well why don't we have them a seat here yeah. and a seat in heaven and then <laughs> you know like try and make things better so yeah. i was always like that kind of just optimistic if we're not working to make everything better why are you working at all? Like, you just, because a lot of jobs are just pointless anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you. So again, trying to find the positive is like, you know, the job is providing food for children, right? I think you're right to point out like this, the, the capitalist system that we're all suffering under the yoke of but it, it's not pointless. It's not hopeless. You know, mm -hmm. there are reasons to do it and they often relate back to the personal. And so I like, if you're looking to religious institutions or political institutions or any, like, <laughs> they're not on your side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The, the individual is the heart and the heart is the love and and we got to look out for each other at like the, the basic individual level and we're finding more ways to do that and more people are at least aware of the fact that the machine is what we should be raging against yeah yeah man but dude i i mean you're not alone in that sense of just like it's fucking ugly and sometimes the despair is just right there it feels like what we're living through now is the bit before the arrows start getting drawn on maps about, you know, like it just yeah. feels like. I said to Mike like about the, about the situation in America. <clears throat> Cause like there, you know, there's been increasing protests and like riots in the streets and stuff like that. And people have been shot like, you know, mm. one protester shot another protester and that was huge news. And it's happened a few times since then, and it's not big as big news. And so, like, my real drastic fear is that the the first shot has already been fired, and we just don't know it yet, you know? Yeah, yeah because once shots have been fired, people are going to the streets knowing that shots can be fired. So that's how serious they are about this. You know, like, yeah. if I'm protesting, I'm like, hey, I want the world to be a better place. But if I'm like, I might get shot dead, I'm like, hard you know like it's hard for me to get out the door and get into that protest um yeah sometimes you know but the, so it means you're pretty hard line if you're if you're out there which is the kind of things that starts <laughs> anyway yeah 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 well keep your eyes open keep your gas tank full 
keep your heart full of love and and uh you know hug the people you care about stay on the phone with oh i like i like the internet taking over proud boys and making it about gay men (laughs) that was pretty delightful wasn't it yeah speaking of delight should we try and uplift this bad boy yeah sorry reveal no don't be sorry man because Man. Man, you're really, you're really not alone, man. I, I like, I, I feel so much. Of, I can identify with, like, I mean, everything that you're saying, and yeah, I, I'm sure there are unspoken anxieties and data points that you know we could spend, you know, hours and weeks and days unpacking. But yeah, we we're just gonna try and, uh, yeah, keep our eyes open and, and keep our hearts full. Cool. Yeah. Well, should we do this thing? All right. (laughs) On that note, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents, the filmography of Charlie Kaufman. We're talking about human nature. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with James. James, (laughs) what is human nature? Oh, my God. Yeah, this is right down to... Um, this is Charlie doing his thing, just looking at human instincts and human uh, things. He's asking uh, big again. questions. Yeah, but in a very odd, off-kilter <laughs> way. Yeah, I think the first, well, actually, the the song piece in the first like bit kind of set the tone for what I was <laughs> what I was going to experience. I'm going to start screaming. So before we get into that, I should ask you if you've seen anything else lately that you want to talk about. I've been working on some film shoots, so I haven't been watching many films. And Um, you've got the energy of overnight, so you're just like, yeah, yeah, man, that's always, like, I don't know, I love the energy of the night shoot for, like, day one and two. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's just like, oh, my fucking life. One time... I had a night shoot, day shoot, turnaround, and but I had like a solid three, four hours, you know? Oh. So I thought I was going to get some sleep. Well, because it was two different production companies and it was indie and I'm, you know, yeah. this is not union work. Yeah. Uh, I didn't <laughs> like, get anybody in trouble rough. here. This was all my decision and nobody yeah. knew the ramifications of my actions but me. I'm sorry. But so I even more recklessly... Uh, took what I thought was a sleeping pill. I thought it was Benadryl. I thought it was an al- it was an allergy medication, and I was yeah. like, okay, cool. This is gonna knock me out for a solid three. I'll like get up and slam some coffee and be back on the road. But it was a non-drowsy formulation of an allergy medication. The caffeine. So just, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know you've seen the the like the meme of the fox rocking back and forth on the stool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. So anyways, um, I've watched a couple of things I can rant rant and rave about. You want to hear about it? Yeah, of course, of course. What have you been up to? Well, it's that time of year, so I've been diving into scary movies. Nice. I do horror movies. Like, you know, I'm one of those people who will just have movies on, like, all day in the background while I'm working on other stuff. Unless it demands my full attention, then I'm pausing the movie for a while. But, like, I'll just let movies play all day. And so October, I've gotten into the tradition of just doing horror movies. So 
I like to watch the anthologies, just kind of, or not, not the anthologies, sorry, but like the big collections all in a row. So I started with Leprechaun, but I talked about it with uh, Dylan over on Made in the 90s. Those movies are a bunch of fun. But I watched the Tremors movies. Oh, okay. So I only know Tremors 1, but I seem to remember that being epic. Was that not brilliant? It's really good, dude. Tremors 1 <laughs> is a blast. Kevin Bacon is up in there. Kevin Bacon. Edward. Yeah. Kevin yeah. Bacon. Sorry, I couldn't remember who it was. That's fucking brilliant. Here's yeah. the thing. Every Tremors movie knows that it's a Tremors movie. And everybody in the Tremors movies knows they're in a Tremors movie. <laughs> yeah. there's, I think there's one soft spot. It's the maybe the third one. Yeah, the third one's a little like nobody's in it it's not exactly the same you know kind of arc of storytelling <clears throat> but then the fourth one goes back to the future like old west style and one of the original <laughs> characters comes back as like a, a fast talking grifter you know like a a white dude who pretends he has money but definitely doesn't and gets the whole town destroyed by worms it's <laughs> pretty great and then the fifth one the most recent one is like fun and in a similar vein it's good it's good um i think they're all a lot of fun the first one is certainly brilliant and i didn't know there were other i didn't know there were other tremors i i thought yeah five that's a (laughs) that's a lot of films through all five movies where they try and decide what the what the bugs are going to be called so like at one point they end up calling them dust dragons which i think is the is the getter but there's like ass blasters which is a different stage of life and graboids and i don't know fred ward in the sequel at somebody so like there's like i said everybody in a tremors movie knows past the first movie knows they're in a tremors movie so they're like kind of grifty showman and Fred Ward is trying to get rich off of the fact that he was the guy who hunted graboids. Like they're, they're real, they continue to exist, but they're confined to just this area of the desert. And so he's got this like podunk roadside attraction kind of energy. And at one point a character asks him, like when the graboids show back up again, like, what are you gonna do this time? And he's like, well, if I make any money off of it, I'm gonna invest better or something like that it just i mean ace ace material man yeah for sure no i mean so i've yeah i haven't dabbled in the horror game too often like i honestly i watch great horrors like you know the horrors that are of renown but um cheap and dirty and great are the only two i'll do like true b like films yeah um, buddy i got five movies to recommend for you <laughs> yeah actually yeah. oh never mind never mind sorry i got my franchises crossed because uh there's a leprechaun movie or two that you can skip but all five <laughs> tremors gold all right all right i'll give it a go yeah and then i'm just going to talk about one non-horror movie that i watched in the weeks leading up to october which is draft day have you ever seen that one no uh, american football that's right. right it's kind of an, an event film it's ivan reitman and it's like yeah a real real americana sort of like 
here's this thing that everybody in America, not everybody obviously, but it's of cultural value in America. And we're gonna celebrate it on film in a way that misunderstands what the thing actually is. And like <laughs> the way that America celebrates it already misunderstands what the thing actually is, which, you know, if you take the most radical position on it is essentially a slave auction. I don't want to get too intense on politics here, but it's kind of fucked up the way that we treat professional sports uh, in America for sure. And oh yeah. Yeah. It's really weird to be like selling and buying people that whole concept to like monetize, but like, you know, you're always monetized with a salary, but then to be like, you know, a the bidding, bidding aspect is like yeah. really, and and then like they don't get to choose necessarily, you know, like the bidding finishes and that's where they fucking end up. And it's like yeah. you're gonna shut your mouth and go to Miami, <laughs> and it's like, wait, you know, like it's that's crazy. And like yeah. the you'll when you get chosen number one and that's the hypothetical put in front of you you're like well okay sure i'll go to wherever you want me to go for a hundred million dollars and sacrifice my body for four years fine but when you get down to the guys that are making and i mean still it's obviously great money but you know the league minimums like still several hundred grand but not enough to put your life on the line man yeah. and, and that's what these dudes are doing it's and not okay because the the game is built around really big moves that really take a toll on people like so i grew up watching and playing rugby oh shit man but but rugby rugby's safer than american football because rugby agree everyone everyone's not in pads so everyone's putting they understand the contact and how much energy to put into things to stop the person without fucking killing yourself yeah um but american football because i played it for a season with the pads you're putting like full 110 percent. you're just throwing yourself at people and if you catch the wrong angle you knock that person unconscious or you break their knee or you know like it it absolutely is true and it's i mean the league is not i mean they're doing something the way that the league does to try and address these things because it is an incredibly violent experience i had actually kind of the inverse experience i've also played american football but i played one season of rugby oh yeah and found it to be much safer yeah much much safer because that you everyone is on the same level everyone's tired because you're running you're not sprinting <laughs> at someone and then taking a five minute break you are running for 45 minutes you know like yeah. 40 minutes so yeah. you're tired so you don't want to put you don't want to tackle and you're not going like, to drop your shoulder and your head into somebody's chest because you don't want to break your neck you're gonna yeah, exactly. wrap them up with your arms and bring them to the ground like a That's human right. being in a it's i mean admittedly a violent aggressive sport rugby was no like cakewalk that shit is oh no and, woo, and you, still, you still get the concussions it's still a dangerous sport I'm, you know but like yeah the concussion was manageable serious. you know like it felt more more, more like a, a reasonable sport. Like it, it's not, whereas American football felt like, yeah, these people are, are like trading the rest of their life 
for more money up front, like is what. Totally. You kind of... Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely it. I actually, <laughs> when I was very young in a previous life, I worked as a loan officer um, and it was great because I was a kid and I made a ton of money before I found, you know that, so speaking of movies, cause it's a movie podcast, you know, that scene in the big short where the guy from new girl and whoever else it is are sort of explaining like, Oh, this is all a house of cards. It doesn't really matter what her number is because I'm going to sell it to this guy. And that guy's going to sell it to this guy. And by the end of the day, we're all fucking paid and who cares? Yeah. I had that experience in real life as a loan officer as a very young person, I was like, had maybe just turned 18. And so, cause it was the heyday, dude. It was like, anybody can get free money right now. And so <laughs> that was the point that I walked out of this thing. And oh, what was the point of all of this? Sorry, it's a big evil enterprise. And the are often sort of flashed over in entertaining ways. That wasn't the original point, but I will try and draw it back to Draft Day, which is a movie I liked a lot. <laughs> okay, so we're back to Draft Day. Uh, I didn't think you were going to say that because you were saying that it missed the point. It does. Well, it, I mean, it kind of gets the point, but it, it demonstrates it in such an insane way where if you know anything about football, the guy, Kevin Costner, just mortgages the entire history of an already downtrodden franchise where it's just like it's the most insane thing one person could do on draft day the titular day of note and then he does it twice in the movie he does it again he doubles down because it's a gambling movie and then it all works out for him in a way that's like negotiation 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 happy ending you know (laughs) (laughs) this is so it's one of those movies. It's, it's, I mean, misunderstands a thing that's already misunderstood and just yeah. celebrates it in a way that can't be respected, but it's hard to not enjoy because there's a lot of movie stars and really good actors just like, I'm not going to say doing their best, but not phoning it in. You know what I mean? They're all kind of there just like, oh yeah, this is a movie. We're doing a show. All right. Yeah, cool. It's a very comforting film. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I got from a comforting movie to one that I would classify. I, I literally put it on my list of fever dream movies today. Unsettling. <laughs> yeah. I. What do you think, man? Human nature. All right. Well, yeah. It. It was. Right from the get-go, I mean, the opening, the opening scene of the film is two mice, like, getting chased by a raven, and you're like, okay, it's all analogous, and then, it kind of is, but then they find the body of the main <laughs> character, and you're like, ah, oh. it, like, it was like a lead-in discovery. <laughs> For a few seconds, it's the most like intense nature documentary I've ever seen yeah. where it, there's a few others. Like what's the, the birds of, Oh man, there's a David Attenborough bird documentary that really manages to sort of like get inside the psychology of birds. But because we have these camera moves that are imitating the motion of mice and then we're cutting back to real mice and like the, again, the motion of the hawk, it's just like, 
very expressive and yeah. a lot of fun. I don't know. It's yeah. it's a weird way to jump into this thing, but it's a but lot I, of fun. I, but I like the way that you jump into this film because you start off with this weird, like, you know, nature documentary, cutting to the dead body of the main character. Right. And then you have the three main characters kind of talking and one says, uh, I'm not sorry. The second one's like, I am sorry. And the other <laughs> one's like, I don't even know what sorry means anymore. Where and you can see that he's, he's in like limbo or something. And he's like, I also and like, like there's really early that it's right in that same scene. It maybe is the line after uh, <laughs> Patricia Arquette says she's not sorry. She says that her, my story begins when I was 12, right? And one of the detectives <laughs> right. is just like, shrugs his shoulders or like rolls his eyes. And it's like, oh my God, give me a fucking break. But then we flash into her story anyway. And yeah. that's three minutes into this movie. So yep. get on board, you know? Yeah, you I, mean, I, now. I, I, that was clever though, because I was kind of looking at that character, at Patricia Arquette's character, Leela. And I was like, ah, oh, Lila. Yeah, I was like, oh God, it's going to be one of those like everything's about me story. You know, like I just thought that she was, she was going to be like, oh, it's all back to when I was 12 and everyone else's fault. And so I was hearing that at the start thinking that. And by the end of the film, like, you know, even halfway through the film, you kind of realize that she's had a really tough run. And, and like it, She's completely within her reason to not be sorry at the end. <laughs> like, Everybody, the only person who doesn't have a really heartbreaking story ends up dead. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of a, like a Calvin. <laughs> like, human nature, man. That's it. Like, he, he quite often has the main character. Kind I would of argue, it's an interesting question. Should we should we explore that a little bit? Because I feel like Patricia Arquette is the main character of this movie. No, you're you're kind of right. You're right. It, she she definitely is. Her and Puff are the main driving characters, and Patricia Arquette. Yeah, you're right. The framing is on her the whole way, but it's just weird because it kind of cuts to Tim Robbins quite a bit later, and it's you're in a lot of scenes with him without anyone else. I mean, um, literally without anybody else. It's just him talking to, you know, the empty chair, the, yeah. like, closed windows, we find out. But the, it, I mean, it's a Rashomon sort of s structure. So everybody's the main character of their own story. Yeah. But I think we end up spend. I don't, I don't know if we spend the most, maybe I'm just the most interested in Patricia Arquette and her story. Yeah. Her story, well, that's what I mean. Like, so at the start, when they're first introducing the characters, I thought I was, I was like, uh, her story is going to be annoying or, you know, like, I don't know why, but I just kind of felt that. But, but very quickly on, I realized that her story is the most heartfelt, real one. And then you find <laughs> out that she's kind of, um, she's not even guilty of murdering anyone and she's saying i'm not sorry but she she kind of took she didn't even shoot pull the trigger she kind of pushed him to pull the trigger <laughs> wow. right i mean i hate to go back no i don't i'm gonna keep doing it that's human nature yeah but the, it, 
it is very Kaufman-esque in the themes that he's playing with. It's like, well, was this inevitable? Were these choices all a matter of conditioning? Was this a clockwork that was set into motion at some point? How much agency do we have over these things? With Arquette specifically, her story kind of becomes like, ownership of self right so she takes yeah. the fall because she regrets um you know ridding herself of hair hair suitism hair you know um <laughs> should we just like it's a crazy visual that at one point patricia arquette is running through the forest singing ass naked covered in fur singing <laughs> to animals in the forest, <laughs> yeah. and then the movie moves on from there. So, yeah. um, yeah, to oh, sorry, just to jump ahead. in like the Patricia Arquette introducing her story bit. The, the first thing that I should have, um, I should have noticed that I was going to be on her side was when she's talking about her being 12 and having this condition, and how she, she kind of built it builds up to the point where she's going to kill herself, and then a mouse looks at her. Yeah, and she's like, the mouse didn't see me as anything wrong, and she was like, that mouse saved my life. Do you get what I mean to the to the police? And do you understand what I'm saying? And then the policeman kind of looks at her, goes, oh, something about a mouse, right? That, that's the moment that I was describing earlier. That's when he shrugs and he's just like, what? I don't know. And we're all <laughs> like, what? Yeah, listening to this story. And it's very early in the movie. So if you're not interested in what's about to happen next, you can jump out here. But I was very much interested. And I like that moment a lot. I actually have it written down for another reason. Because I'm not a, how, where do you, uh, okay, let me say the thing. And then I'll ask the question, which is when she has the razor blade in her hand and she's looking at the wrist and kind of looking at the razor blade, she has this moment that I read is like, oh, wait, how do I actually do this? Like, she's not questioning whether or not she wants to kill herself. Uh -huh. She just realizes that she has a razor blade in her hand and is like, oh, there's a, like a perfunctory, sort of like a, a kinetic motion that I have to perform that I, as a human, don't understand because it's taking away my life. Yeah, That's a very strange thing to look at. And I think it's a brilliant moment as a performer to give us that little read, I, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. So my question then is, where are you on Patricia Arquette? Oh, mate, I've been in love with Pr Patricia Arquette ever since True Romance. Like, I, <laughs> I think she's, a, she's brilliant. And like, I, that film was amazing for me. Okay, but name another good Patricia Arquette performance. And you can't say anything directed by David Lynch. No, you can. That's fine. <laughs> but. Well, I like I I I like her in heaps of things. Like there's TV shows that she's done that I really liked. I think that's um, really the thing. Is like she was in she was so she was on Medium for years, right? And good for uh, her. Yeah. But Medium. Stigmata. Did you ever see the? Oh horror? yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. It, Medium was rightly savaged for a thing that makes me crazy about Patricia Arquette, which is that she, like, she's the queen of mumblecore, but she predates mumblecore, man. And so <laughs> sometimes her refusal to engage with material, I'm just like, why are you on screen? I hate this. 
and I find her really like boring and I, I kind of like, I need to turn her up because I can barely hear her, but I don't oh, want to bother because I don't want to miss it. This is one of my favorite, so this in True Romance, I really yeah. like her in True Romance. I think she's great here, although there are points where yeah. I do find her just like, okay, you can take it up a lot because you're an actual monkey like you're playing a wild woman in this movie so it's okay if you scream and she does a few times but because she has to do the like and and maybe you know actually i'm talking myself into really liking this performance because it's about that arc of taming right and that uh, i'm going to circle back to another point so maybe patricia arquette is the right person to portray this role because she really can do subdued and internalized in a way uh, that is... I, so I found that perfect, by the way, when she kind of breaks in the, like, third act or second act, probably, um, and she's cut her hair and is wearing a wig and is just doing lab results and completely sold her soul. Uh, the performance sells that, you know, you're, you're kind of heartbroken every time yeah. she's on the screen. Yeah, very much. She's got no energy and she's just agreeing to whatever people say. And, and it's, yeah, it's tough. Cause but the movie is also telling you that. Like, yeah, in, yeah. in defense of my argument against Patricia Arquette, the movie is literally telling you that she's become soulless in these interactions. It's yeah. not subtext. It's actual text of this film. But she also sells that. She does. She does. She's very good here. I... I I don't mean to take anything away from Patricia Arquette in this performance. I only mean to defend myself. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I liked her in this and I liked- I did too. I really do. Romance. That's what I want to lay. Like, you're right. There aren't a lot of films. I think, yeah, Stigmata is the only one that comes to mind that I could think of her in. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. But, um, pretty, I love, so like, yeah, very, not very far into the film at this point, but when she's grown full body hair, um, and is now an ape at the top of a, of a building, and then Peter Dinklage is bored in a little toy plane shooting guns at her while kids are watching. Like, it, it's an amazing scene. <laughs> I would pay any amount of money to be in that audience right now. I <laughs> cannot believe what i am looking at i yeah. i think i told you this to you in real life but one of my favorite actual experiences was seeing a show at the minnesota state fair that was a diving show and the plot of it was that the sun had to rise in the sky so there's like a paper mache sun a dude okay let me back up a few steps there are several performers wearing paper mache outfits one of whom is dressed like the sun and the others are dressed like i don't know solar nymphs sun assistants whatever their job is to get the sun to the top of the thing so that it can rise over the rainbow and at that climactic moment this motherfucker <laughs> this poor guy jumps like 90 feet in a paper mache sun helmet into a pool in the Minnesota State Fair. And it's, you know, it's a, <laughs> just a yeah. just like tiny little <laughs> show, but it's so goddamn insane that it's seared in my brain. And I think I, 
I gotta I see this thing. Yeah, you explained that then the paper mache got ruined into the water and everyone else is diving in, trying to dodge the paper mache. <laughs> because he's, uh, I'm not going to describe the horror show that, that became of, of that situation. But the thing that Dinklage is doing, his <laughs> lack of commitment, and I heard this poor Love woman. it. Because you can tell from his expression and just like no, no energy. It's like, <laughs> it's like the full... 27th time he's done it that week totally and and they're both just not into it and life sucks but i it was good it was a i it was such a strong like message there i liked it and um, i was really happy with the idea that that was dinklage's only appearance in the movie <laughs> we'll, we'll circle back to where he comes but it's it's around this time so at this point we're i don't know 20 minutes into the movie probably not even that because the musical scene that we've already described comes after this yeah and there's a flashback where we find out that um the guy who's testifying in front of congress apparently was kidnapped by an ape man and raised by a human who thinks he was an ape yeah okay yeah, he was raised as an ape. And then... And he's speaking eloquently in front of Congress. Right. Like, and then so. we get a flashback from Tim Robbins, who we find out is obsessed with manners and is trying to train mice to also be obsessed with manners. And in yeah. that flashback, we find out that his dad is played by Robert Forrester, which needs to be announced. And <laughs> also, the ape man that steals uh, Puff is Toby Huss, who's a, a phenomenal character actor and a great voiceover dude. If you're a fan of King of the Hill at all, he plays oh. Cotton and a number of other characters on that show. But he's, you'll, you'll, I think he's probably an idiocracy. I, I um, knew him from Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, uh, uh, like it was a clever technology, like from the eighties yep. TV show. I like yeah. that. He, uh, he a real talented actor, so I was super happy to see him for a few scenes. So yeah. we're yeah. like fifteen minutes into this movie, and then she starts singing "Naked in the Trees," and I'm like, way into the thing. And then we dive into the second act, and I'm a little like, I'm honestly let down because it goes kind of rom commy from there, and. And it slows way down, which is a crazy thing to say because they now have the adult ape man in a cage and Tim Robbins is training him to be a human and Patricia Arquette works at the lab, but there's also like an affair. Like there's a lot going on in this movie. But Grand Otto. That's right. The cast is huge on this thing, like surprisingly. Awesome. (laughs) Great cast. Because Miranda, yeah, like she's brilliant and she does a great job. I like, I like the kind of reveal because she's got the kind of false French accent. Right. And you're kind of like, that's quite a false French accent. And then it cuts to her in her apartment. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. She's like born in Chicago or something. <laughs> oh my God. And then, and then, okay, so we'll we'll get around to it, but. Um, I don't know. Where do you want to go from here? So basically, I like uh, Rosie Perez. Yeah, that's right. 
Louise, um, I think, is her character. The the person doing the makeup. The she's uh, doing. Hair. She's removing hair, right? She's doing the laser hair removal, but, electrolysis. So many hilarious bits in this movie. Like when she's talking about the only thing that matters is the mind. You don't sleep with the body. You sleep with the mind. <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, I've got a friend that you could." Um, right. Super intelligent, and he's so lovely. And she and she's like. Uh, he's a dwarf. She's like, ooh, I'm not fucking a dwarf. And I was like, oh my God. Human was, nature. Yeah, I was like, you just spent, <laughs> it made me laugh so much because it's just an exact recant on everything she'd just been saying for like five minutes. In it's like very one- tidy that way. It, it kind of, I guess I'll get to it now because it it's full of, these Kaufman ideas, right? But it lacks all of the nuance that even Malkovich is a much more nuanced film than this. And I think it suffers, uh, human nature suffers from being 90 minutes long. There's gotta be cut down and reshoot issues, but he's, the way that so many other of his films sort of have you chasing after an idea, this he is just, smashing you in the face with and yet it's not entirely clear what he's trying to say you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. so i think last week you asked about like is was uh john malkovich's first script and it seems like that's impossible there's no way that's the first script that somebody wrote i would be willing to believe that this is the first script that he wrote and after john malkovich hit they were like, hey, what do you got? We got to get another one out now. Okay. And he was like, oh, uh, well, I got this, but it's not ready yet. I need another draft on that. And it's going to be six months. And they're like, nope, shoot it tomorrow. (laughs) Here's a dump truck full of money. Yeah. All right. I can see that. It's, I I like the little like humor notes. I think it got a bit rom-com and a bit slow in the middle. Um, I think the, the, the points, at the start and end of like punctuating the story, punctuate it really well. But you're right, like the idea of, of like, once again, human desire and uh, what, like all of those ideas are very, but they kind of, it's hit you in the face with it at the start and then it just keeps it going. Like, um, well, it's very, the, the human nature stuff is really, really punchy. The sort of storytelling stuff is a little more illusory and kind of at the edges of this movie. So like we were just talking about the the accent of uh, Miranda Otto, is that right? At the end of the movie, okay, let's talk, can we talk about the end of the movie? Because our ape man hops in the car with her and she now has a French accent and he's like just over it he's like nope i'm not a wild man anymore i'm fucking out of here yeah and i thought i was watching the whole movie but i was like wait was that the scheme from the fucking beginning no no uh i think it 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 slowly happened like i because you see him look back at the 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 hut you know like so yes yes you know you've got um you got like the desire like like yeah it's tough man because it it is the natural call to be who you are and then everyone's telling you to be someone else 
and then someone else is telling you to be something else again and then ultimately he's like he wants to he wants to he be one thing he wants to be the other orange and then he gets like re-clockwork orange and right. then he breaks out of it it's not so i you said that patricia arquette has a saddest story it the art puff has a saddest story it's pretty rough yeah <laughs> but he also basically wanted to sleep with gabriella from the second he saw her and right. at the end of the film he leaves with gabriella and i i think that like so he he was free through ignorance at the start and then he was free by choice at the end like he basically was like i'm not i'm not doing what everyone told me to do i'm just doing what i want to do which turns out was just that you know like he was he was alone he was a bit lonely yeah and he ended up with somebody and that well i think that's the part that again that's kind of at the edges of this thing like it's that's the most subtextual part of the movie and that's where we arrive right is is that conclusion but where i I don't want to call him amateurish because it's charlie kaufman but there's those like the recordings kind of throughout the movie and then it's happening over the credits right that woman speaking and she's talking about she's very directly addressing the dialectical nature of storytelling and like how what you communicate inversely leaves your uncommunicated notion communicated you know like everything you're trying not to say you're also saying and like inherent kind of unseen nature to the vast majority of our reality and so we don't get to know what the story is about because Kaufman and, you know, at the edges of this story, it's about how stories are inherently missing core elements of reality, right? And so we have a creator here who's really interested in those ideas, but he's not really, I mean, that's a lot to unpack in 90 minutes, even if you got a singing naked ape lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, like, because it is only 90 minutes, I think the middle just felt long because it slowed down to kind of one arc when the start of the film was about 14 different little stories. Right. And like flashbacks, and there's like, she goes and lives in the bush, and then she comes back from the bush to start dating, and then they meet another the man who lives in the bush because they go trekking and then they pull him you know like it's like all these stories and all this stuff and then it kind of gets to the it kind of arrows in right one it's like he's cheating on her with the lab assistant and and it's pretty rough but like you know it's just a story at that point yeah and you see splice no it's it like the horror version of this oh, okay <laughs> but instead of the lab uh, don't uh, watch Splice. Because the end of the film goes back to the multiple stories, multiple endings, like, you know, they, uh, like, the, what's it, Nathan gets shot. Right. And then, and then they decide to go to Congress, and then that ties that story back in, and then she goes to jail, and then he goes, 
No, I need to interrupt you there because she, before she runs off, she says, testify before Congress on the na human nature. What, like she very succinctly <laughs> says what the point of this movie is. Exactly. I'm kind of delighted by. I, I like that because it was, yeah. Um, yeah, but then he does the parade and everyone, right. everyone's interested in everything he's doing and he's taking off clothes. And, and then his mom shows up and she's yeah. so, so good in that scene, man. Yeah, I'm trying to find the uh, Nancy uh, Lenahan, Nancy Lenahan, who's like right. a seasoned TV actor, but she's really good in that scene. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm an ape man. I'm just going to be an ape man. And she's like, yeah, I, I figured as much. Nice to see you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm glad um, I got to meet you once after you were stolen by Toby Huss. Yeah. And raised as an ape. Yeah, yeah. I, I like so much of what the movie has to say. And I even like a lot of the ways that it chooses to say it. Even in this, I like, I think it's a, a trunk. It can't, you know, it can't be the full expression of what this, this is. But even in this truncated version i like a lot of the ways that it does express itself i like a lot of what it has on its mind yeah. i have i have fun with it man i also i want yeah. to point out that um <laughs> when tim robbins is showing off puff he's oh, yeah. basically just pointing to a human being and going look he can do what human beings can do <laughs> it's in no way impressive unless you know his backstory and there's no yeah. reason to believe tim robbins because he's a crazy person that's right there's no um yeah like he he shows the footage of him being crazy and i'm like yeah but that's your word that he was <laughs> like <laughs> look michelle gondry made that footage why couldn't you make that footage yeah um it, I enjoyed the film. I, I mean, I think it was bitsy. No, what is it? Uh, I think it's incomplete. That's my yeah. thing is I think it was um, either, I, maybe both. It's, it's an and or situation. I think this is an early effort from a creator that wasn't in command of the ideas that he's grappling with. Because, yep. you know, I mean, that's why we're into Charlie Kaufman. He's, Telling a story about the nature of storytelling is hard to do at all, let alone well. And to tell a story about human nature is hard to do at all, let alone well. And that's kind of the only, th those are the things that he does. Those are the movies yeah. that he makes, right? And- Oh, absolutely, yeah. So we have an early effort, either he wasn't quite prepared to do it himself, or he wasn't powerful enough to overrule the studio in the way that he would become, right? And yeah. I think that's probably more what's happening. I'm willing to believe that Charlie Kaufman is like, there, there's probably a version of this script and like, if I could listen to the conversations, because Spike Jones is also a producer on this film. Oh, right, really? So if I could listen to Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry, and Charlie Kaufman sit around and talk about this movie, I almost want to watch that more than this movie. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. It, so somewhere in between there, it just doesn't all come together. It's a little incomplete. It's a little, yeah. I, you know, again, I keep saying amateurish. It just is like not quite realized. 
Yeah, okay, I definitely will give you that because it just, it gets all the points for me. Like it gets like uh, Puff, you know, Reese Ifan, um, his, his desires, basically he's like, okay, I want to get laid. So I'm going to play <laughs> along. With the, I'm going to play along with their training game. Human and then, nature. Yeah, and then like the Nathan is like, I, I w- kind of want to, I want to understand this whole table manners thing because it fucking destroyed my life as a kid, you know, like, so he's wants control over human nature. Yeah. And so it does have the points like, um, it has, I think, uh, it just pops into my brain, but, uh, atmosphere is from my hometown. I'm a Minneapolis dude, but he's got a line in one of his songs that is who did your tattoos. That's nice. Who built your taboos? That's life. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, well, you're decorating yourself with art, but at the end of the day, you're sort of a victim of the conditioning of your upbringing. You can make some changes, and we all do, but we're also all our parents' children, for better or worse. Yeah. So just just want to put it back in that Rosie Perez eventually ends up with (laughs) Peter Dinklage. Yeah. And they're kind of like a power couple that's go like Bonnie and Clyde or something. Yeah, they're like part of the heist, man. Yeah. It's fucking rad. This and so like all that stuff is I'm it's fun. Even when yeah. it's not totally successful, it's at least fun enough and captivating. Because that is a not, human being heist. Like they are stealing puff. <laughs> you know. So you gotta like it's a weird film. <laughs> like and there's there's weird moments in it because they I thought that they were going in for revenge against Nathan but they didn't care about him at all and they just wanted to help Leela uh, Lila just steal Puff so she can force him into becoming a caveman again right Um, but even that that's exactly what I'm talking about like it's her projection of what her nostalgia is accepting it's not what is right for puff it's not what he needs out of his life but that's that's exactly what i think the story kind of is about like absolutely it's like yeah i i enjoyed that bit like that you could see that they were saying this is what like this is what people think you need to do this is what other people think you need to do you will not really know what you need to do and at the end puff goes yeah i just want to go sleep with the girl with the fake french accent and i was like yeah all right that is probably the most sincere thing he's done since he got pulled out of the bush i think he's saying i think there's something more to be said there and maybe i'm projecting but it's at the end of the day you need to do what you need to do but the thing that you need to do will be a reflection of the people around you and what they needed to do yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah and it's have you watched um there's like a oh god i can't even remember oh it's a little cartoon called the midnight gospel no uh it's like a i think it was a podcast to be honest um and they just did animation over top of it but the last episode of it is about like uh like a mum and a son talking and it's really heartfelt but it's about that like that you don't have control over how you are brought up or how you exist and 
you don't really get to choose how you respond to things until you really think about it. Like you, you honestly will, will respond how you're trained to respond without your, you can't help it. You will always do what you were trained to do based on what your parents or your environment or your society was. And then it's just talking about like meditation practices and how to like maybe try and let go of some of that and see what you look like without it. Um, but yeah, nature. that's kind of, yeah, human nature. Yeah, it just made me think of it a couple of times in this film. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like everyone's telling them what to do. Yeah. And it's changing who they are. Yeah. It's, that's an awesome recommend. I remember, remember that coming up earlier in the year, but I, I haven't gotten around to it. So I'm going to give it a visit. I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a fun, it's some one of those things, like you say, that you can put on and kind of listen to a few times so you can have it. Like the visuals are beautiful, but you don't even have to look at them. You can just listen to the audio as well. So it's well. That leads me in a way to my kind of final point on on this one, which is that it is visually <laughs> impressive. You know, it's there's some stuff to look at on screen every time you look at the screen in this movie. So yeah. I did put it on my list. I legitimately have a list that I've been building for a while. Um, actually, no, sorry, I had. I've only put the actual list together like in the last couple of weeks, but I added this one to it and um, it's just a, like a handful of movies that if you have a high fever and or are like on ecstasy or, you know, basically they're good movies to be on at a party because there's always something really interesting to look at, but you don't really have to follow the movie just to sort of be visually interested in it. But if you want to follow the movie, you get even more out of it. So here's the list that I have to date. Are you ready? Yep. Uh, well, just the most recent edition is Mary, uh, sorry, Human Nature. Yeah. But Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns are also on the list. Yeah. yeah and uh let's see the hotel transylvania movies are good any i mean animated stuff is kind of uh hard to beat but the hotel transylvania movies are good because they're like about monsters but they're not scary you know so they get you right in the sweet spot um the recent david copperfield movie did you see that one with uh dev patel yeah dude yeah. i like the look of that movie okay cool and, i thought uh, we were gonna go uh like the Nicolas Cage Mandy kind of way. Like, do you know that film? Yeah, That's yeah. A- and like Color Out of Space and Enter the Void. And yeah. I'm, but those movies actually get kind of monotonous. That's oh. the problem with them. So if you look at them for too long, I mean, if you're on a, a straight on acid trip, so like 2001 is not on this list. Yeah. And if you're like legitimately doing hallucinogens, those movies are a blast to watch because you can look at like this propulsive visual for a long time. But if you're not actually on hallucinogens, like if it's just at the background of a party or if like, again, legitimately you're quite ill and you need to be asleep and then awake and then asleep and then awake, these movies are a lot more fun because you can just kind of like drop into them anywhere. Yeah, I see. So that's where I'm going for with this list. I also have anything from the Resident Evil series and a lot of uh, Wachowskis make the list, but specifically Jupiter Ascending, Cloud Atlas, and Speed Racer. (laughs) Wait, Uh, did they see Speed Racer? Yeah, Speed Racer. Have you seen that one? 
No, I did. Did that get made? I yeah, think. yeah, it's a Wachowski movie, and it's like Emil Hirsch is Speed Racer. John Goodman is what his dad or the it's been a while, man. But it's is like a monkey in the trunk. Like, is it straight up Speed Racer? It's straight up Speed Racer. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody actually recently did. Um, we'll wrap it up here because we don't need to go down this whole list. It's just a bunch of visually wild movies. But somebody yeah. recently did um, uh, a Vaporwave Speed Racer remix, and it's awesome, dude. If you're into this kind of stuff, if you're a video art nerd or a, a, a recovering raver, yeah. check it out. <laughs> vaporwave. I forgot about what Vaporwave. That's dude, Vaporwave Speed Racer remix. Worth um, a watch. Um, yeah, it ultimately mate the movie was a was a very watchable movie like in a way like i i i enjoyed ideas i enjoyed visuals uh it it was a bit like i don't know there's something about the story that doesn't kind of keep me going the whole way through where i kind of lose track at some point but only a little bit and um and it, yeah, I enjoyed kind of the message and I like the tongue in cheek moments every now and then, yeah. like that, that it kind of doesn't take itself. It takes itself seriously sometimes and then it doesn't completely doesn't other times, which I enjoy. I don't think it ever takes itself very seriously. It has very serious ideas on its mind, but it is aware enough that it's not going to connect all of the dots. So it's sort of like, oh, we're in a heist movie now. Oh no, it's a rom-com now. No, no, really, this is a flashback within a candy shop memory. You know what I mean? Like, it has the confidence to do all of those things. Uh, yeah, there, there is just something, a little spice missing from the formula, you know? But I really, I like it a lot. Yeah. And it goes to show how strong those other films that we've seen of his, like, uh, being John Malkovich has a lot of the same idea, like, you know, big ideas kind of in a crazy, wacky idea, but it works so well that you kind of realize, wow, he got the recipe so well on some of those films because a lot of the elements are here and it, it's still a good, enjoyable film, but you're like, it makes you realize how impressive it is to get, you know, all the elements perfect on those other films. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think you just said it. Yeah. Good work. All good.